Welcome to the Same Side Selling Podcast. I am your host, Ian Altman. I know this is a surprise to you, but I'm your host, Ian Altman. I'm joined this week by a special guest, Karen Hayward, who was recommended by one of our other listeners and Same Side Selling Academy members who said, oh, I just heard Karen speak and you've got to have Karen come on the podcast. Karen is a managing partner in the country's largest consultancy of chief marketing officers, where they serve small to mid-sized businesses on how they scale. And unlike some consultancies who give people ideas and walk away, they actually jump in and execute plans and actually are accountable for results for their clients on growing their businesses. And Karen's book, Stop Random Acts of Marketing, caught my attention because I feel that's a trap that a lot of people might fall into. So without further ado, welcome Karen to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here, Ian. Appreciate it. You betcha. So let's start with, and and if you want to give people context of your background, why don't we start there? Because I think that the perspective you have is so valuable and gives people a different lens. So give us just a little bit of your background because people look at it as, Oh, so Karen, they're a chief marketing officer. What do they also understand about sales? Give us a little bit of your background. Sure. Well, I grew up in Montreal, joined Xerox Canada, uh, and spent 20 years with the organization. So I did everything from sell photocopiers door to door in Montreal in the, in the deep of winter, and then moved to Toronto and really climbed the corporate ladder between sales and marketing. So I've been the, the sales leader of um, very large organizations and teams. And then I also held, you know, the role of VP of marketing. So really back and forth between marketing, sales, and a little sprinkling of HR in the mix. And then I immigrated to Silicon Valley, where I sort of took what I learned from the big company and all the training I had and really right-sized it for that smaller mid-market company. And that's kind of where the book Stop Random Max Marketing came from. That's great. And and now you spend most of your time helping small to medium-sized businesses. And there's a whole team of people who are mm-hmm. chief marketing officers who help businesses with their growth. So what's the biggest, most common mistake or trap that you see these businesses fall into that really stifles their growth? Wow, that's a big question. I think there are a couple of things. I think there's no real methodology to incorporate the voice of the customer into the business. So these companies go from the inside out. So they do all of their messaging, they build all of their go-to-market plan from their point of view. And the lack of outside perspective, either from employees or from competitors or from their customers, leaves a whole bunch of opportunity on the table. And I'll give you an example. We worked for a glass company, does you know commercial glass in downtown sure. LA. And I said to the CEO, you know, why do your customers buy from you? You know, we're trying to help them with the growth plan. And the CEO said, well, we have the best customer service and we have really high quality glass. So we go out, we interview all the customers and you're laughing, but you won't believe it. The customers all say, oh no, no, those are table stakes. That's not why we buy from them. We buy from them because that's really the only company that delivers commercial glass in downtown LA on time. <laughs> and we can't afford to have the work crew sitting around. 
So imagine this, you've got this oh, quality, quality that hits nobody, no one's interested in it. And they have this incredible message that the customers highly value that they're not even taking out to the marketplace. So we find that often when you interview your customers, they give you the secret sauce. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, I was laughing because so often it's, well, because we have great people and we deliver a good product. And then I jokingly will say to people, okay, so just, just to be clear, your competitors, their messaging includes none of that, right? So your competitors, they say, right. well, we have mediocre service and our quality isn't so high. It's kind of like saying, well, we're a full service marketing firm. And you go, well, are you competing against partial service marketing firms? And I, and I think that that whole notion of not understanding the voice of the customer and what matters to them is definitely a trap because then sales and marketing people speak through the lens of what I call axis displacement disorder, which is where you believe the axis of the earth has shifted and the world revolves around you. And the reality is it doesn't matter what we think. What matters is what motivates our customers and our clients. So what are some of the things that you've seen people try to do to get a better handle on that that don't work? So what are the steps that people say, oh, we don't really have a good handle on this. So we're going to try this goofy approach and that you know ends up kind of painting them back in the same corner. Look, the biggest mistake going on out there, and I see this all the time, and it's just a crying shame, is someone will say, you know, let's get an agency, let's do some campaigns. And they go out and they hire an agency. And the agency sort of does some cursory work and they run a bunch of campaigns and nothing works. And the CEO goes, see, marketing doesn't work. And they've spent their budget. And I can't tell you how many people end up calling us after they've spent a ton of money with an agency. The reality is, if you want your agency to do really great work, you have to give them a strategy and a plan. And that plan has to be informed by market insight and market reality and data. And it really starts with market insights. And that's the part that people skip. And the CEOs who all have a bias for action and all heard about some great agency that does search engine optimization. And that's a teeny weeny part of a plan. Sure. Not a plan to really grow the business. And marketing really needs to be done from the inside of your company. You need to be looking at your customer base, segmenting your customer base. Agencies don't do any of that. No. Agencies are coin operated by running campaigns. Yeah. And so, you know, that's probably the number one mistake I see going on out there. Yeah. And, and it is, I'm sure it points to your random acts of marketing where it's, let's just do this, let's just do that instead of who are we trying to reach with what message? What's our what's the goal we're trying to attain? And is this strategy going to actually accomplish that? And by the way, is that the right strategy? Because given what we know, it's it's like I, I get people all the time who talk to me about, oh, let us do this copy work for you for our same side selling academy. And the academy is all focused on B2B companies who are typically licensing it for a whole team. And mm -hmm. someone will say, oh, here's what we did. And they list all these consumer brands that they've worked with and all these end consumer products where they're selling mm -hmm. one thing. And I said, okay, Show me where you've done work with where people, where a company is buying this for their team. Well, we don't have any of that, but I'm sure it's the same. It's not the same. I know it's not the same. So no, that really doesn't apply here, but thanks for playing. And it's that notion of like, let's just do some stuff, not realizing what you're really trying to accomplish. So is that part of what you see? 
Oh, totally. It's like if, you know, I'm sitting here in Mountain View, California, and I decide I want to go to Dallas and I just get in the car and drive. Well, if you don't have a map, you know, you're not really going to get there with any level of efficiency and your gas mileage will probably be out of control because you'll probably take 25 wrong turns. So a marketing plan based on the voice of the customer, a deep understanding of your competitors and the strengths of your company gives you a much higher confidence ability to put a go to market together with the right message, the right media, the right outreach so that you actually have a chance that it's going to work once you go to market, right? Sure. It's so logical, but people don't do it. Yeah, it's fascinating. In our in our same set selling academy, we have a monthly coaches corner as we call it. So it's live coaching. Mm-hmm. And the people who have tremendous success month over month or constantly reporting on their successes, what they'll say is, oh yeah, so we practice for an hour every week and we have this process that we go through and we follow this process to a T and we we follow every step of the same side selling methodology. And then other people say, well, we're seeing good results, but not like they are. Okay, well, are you practicing regularly? No, we don't really have time for that. Well, are you following this? Well, most of the time. And it's like, you know, it's, it's kind of funny because I see it and I say, well, what do you see as the common thread of the people who were really excelling and are 300% of their target and are seeing record growth in shorter times. Well, I mean, they, they all are following the exact same process without fail. And then you're like waiting, like, and? <laughs> yeah. You know, it's interesting. The corollary or corollary, depending if you're Canadian or American, I never remember which is right, is we want to sell the way buyers want to buy. And one of the big mistakes that mid-market companies make is they don't really stop and take the time to go back and analyze. And you really need to do this with an independent third party. Go back and analyze the 10 last deals you won or lost and understand how the buyer went through the process. So if you're in a tech company, did the buyer have a conversation with Gartner or Forrester? Did the buyer go to this association meeting? How and who else was involved? And there are so many times when you have these these people in the background that are highly influential in a business transaction, but we never reach out. Our website doesn't talk to them because we're busy talking to this person over here that we think is the buyer. And so I really think there's this whole opportunity to figure out what is the buyer's journey. And then once we understand the buyer's journey, let's adjust our sales process to that journey and our marketing process for that matter, so that we can be you know, super effective. Perfect. And, and let's face it, if our marketing and our sales are not aligned, huh. then when the customer gets mixed messages, they assume someone's lying. Thankfully for the marketing people, they usually assume it's the salesperson who's lying. <laughs> but, but nonetheless, it, it, it ends up in yeah. failure. So with with all these challenges that people have where they're just kind of randomly doing marketing, they're not putting their finger on the pulse of the customer. They don't necessarily understand the buyer's process, but they think they do. Where should people start if they want to fix this? And obviously, you know, we'll, we'll give people links to your book and to your organization. But where should people start from a mindset? Like what, what are the first few things they should do that can start giving them clarity as to where they should focus to have successful growth? Yeah, so I I think it all starts with the voice of the customer. 
I'll give you like five or six different ways to get voice a customer. So number one, net promoter score. If you haven't got that operating in your business, it's super inexpensive and it is the best way to start having a strategy around how effective you are. And it's also a great way to collect accolades about you know, the great customer service you're doing. So industry standard, net promoter score, people can reach out to me and I can give them links to um, some of the best providers out there um, that can help you with that. But that's the question on a scale of one to 10, you know, how likely are you to recommend me to a colleague or whatever, or company ABC to a colleague? And so you can start to understand the intensity of your customer loyalty. So that would be number one. Number two, and probably my favorite, and you can drive, you can drive a 15, 14 to 15% improvement in your win rate if you do independent, and I mean independent, not with your sales force, independent win-loss analysis. So take your 10 last deals and you hire a consultant and they go out and they interview your customers to find out how they bought, why they bought, why did they buy from a competitor? What was the price differential? What else did they consider? What would have made them buy from you? What features were you missing? You get all this rich market input that you can then start to organize inside inside your business. So win-loss would be number two. Well, those are probably the top, the, the, the top two. I think figuring out how your buyers are buying and then I guess understanding your digital footprint. How are you competing digitally with your competitors? And that's not as hard to do as people think it is. You know, you can look sure. at your competitors' web traffic, you can look at their messaging, you can look at their SEO, you can look at your SEO. So I, I think those are probably the, the top three. Yeah. No, you know what? I think it's great. I think the, the net promoter score, that notion of you know, Fred Reichel's The Ultimate Question is yeah. the, the background of this that Fred Reichel came up with. That simple question of zero to 10, how likely are you to refer this company to a friend or colleague gives you insight. And the interesting thing about that is that a nine or a 10 is considered a positive, a seven or below is considered a negative, and an eight is neutral. So a lot of times people say, we're doing really well. We're getting like mostly eights. It's like, mm, those are people no. who are kind of like melancholy about you. They don't hate you. But, and the people you're like, well, we got a seven. That's good. It's like, those people are talking trash about you. They don't really love it. And then you mentioned this idea of the win-loss analysis. What I find most interesting is that oftentimes people focus all their effort on the deals they lost, and they don't take the time to reach out to the deals they won and say, what was it that caused you to select this vendor versus another one? And they think that, oh, well, no, as the CEO, I can make that call. No, it's got to be an independent third party who says, we're trying to give them feedback because no matter how hard you try, it's very common for if the client says, well, and we didn't feel that you guys did X very well, the rep or the whoever the associate is in the organization says, oh, we actually do, the, do that well. Let me, and it's like, no, no, just take the information, internalize it. And then you can always come back and say, hey, we realized we didn't communicate this well. And you can do that two weeks later, but not at the moment, or you're going to shut down any feedback understanding how people actually go through the buying process, I think is a third one that you snuck in there. Yeah. That's this notion of how's the customer actually go through their buying process. And then looking at that digital footprint and getting a sense of where are you helping people versus other people? I think that there's, yeah. there's a general fear that businesses have of, well, I can't share this on my website because my competitors might find out. It's like, look, 
your competitors already know more about you than you do. So don't worry about your competitors, worry about your customers. If you wanna get top results for your team, take a look at the Same Side Selling Academy. Just visit samesideselling.com to learn more. Yeah, 100%. You know, there was a, a company we were working with in the cybersecurity space and Dell had come in with a solution that was $15,000 less. And so the, the client's win rate just plummeted. And the, they did an analysis with the Salesforce. So it got the whole sale, and they had like maybe 15 or 16 salespeople. And the salespeople said, yeah, well, Dell came in there $15,000 less. We're getting hammered. We got to reduce the price. The CEO was exhausted. All this input about price re reduction. And of course, that's all profit, right? In a SaaS business. Sure. And so I said, wait, before we do that, let's let's just do some win-loss now. Let's just go out and find out what's going on. And so we got a third party. They went out, they did all the analysis, and they came back and they learned the reason that the clients didn't buy from us, even though they liked our product better, was because we couldn't show them a product roadmap that kept up with the bad guys. <laughs> not because our product was not as feature rich or because it was more expensive. They were willing to spend the extra money because they really loved our product. But that was the one thing. The sales force never surfaced that, you know, we lack a product roadmap. And the customers sure. never told me. They just said, you know, it was, you're, you guys are more expensive. So, you know, not a fit. Yeah. So it, it it's very telling, you know. And, and keep in mind, it's much easier for the client to say, well, you guys were $20,000, $15,000, whatever it is more. Bye-bye. See you later. Then to explain, well, we really felt that your proposal didn't demonstrate an understanding of our situation, which made us uncomfortable about your ability to deliver results. And because of that, we felt that it wasn't worth the additional money to get your product. No, no, it's just you were more expensive. So see you. Now there's nothing else for me to talk about. Because I don't need to have a I don't need to have a debate now, and that's the element that I think too often gets missed. Is one of the, one of the lines I'm probably best known for is "Price matters most when the seller believes price matters most." And so very often it's the seller who says, "Oh well, they'll never pay for this. It's too expensive." And the reality is that if you do your job right, it's never really about price. It's usually about the results and is it worth the investment to get those results? And if you're not talking to the client about results, then all of a sudden they got nothing to focus on but price. Yeah, I totally agree. You know, it's all about the outcomes you can deliver for the client. We can focus on price. And, you know, I think the studies that I've seen say that price matters only in 5% of B2B technology decisions. So yeah. think about that. 95% of those technology decisions. You know, we work in every industry, construction. My son is a civil engineer in a construction company. And so he does a lot of warding of work to vendors. And I said to him, I said, well, how much does price matter? And he says, you know, I just need the guys that are gonna get the job done for our client. Exactly. So, you know, I, I need to go to my boss and say, you know what, this one's a little bit more, but these guys can get it done for us. And when I go to, and I happen to know one of his vendors and I say, how are your clients making the decision? He says, oh, it's all on RFP price. Exactly. What is that dichotomy between, you know, the buyer and the seller? The buyer's looking for value and no headaches. 
And the seller's got this mentality that I have to be the lowest price in order to win any business. Exactly. In fact, in, in construction, there's a, there's a client of mine in Northern California. And when I started working with them, they were right around 100 million, they were between 100 and 120 million, for like five years in a row. So they kind of plateaued. Okay. And one of, the, one, of, one of the discussions we had was, well, the challenge is that we charge more for general conditions than other people. And that's why we can't win this business and can't win that business. So we implemented this whole strategy. You know, five years later, they're, they crossed 600 million on their way to a billion and they're growing like crazy. And they realized that, oh, yeah, our general conditions are usually 20 or 30 percent higher than our competitors. And their clients say to you know whoever the property owner is, whoever's running the project, they go, yeah, well, so they're 30 percent more, but they're they're like always on time. There are no change orders like they're just they understand our environment so well. Ninety seven percent of their business is repeat business from clients they've worked with before. And their competitors come in and say, well, we could save you $100,000 on this project. And the client's like, you're not going to save me anything. You're, it's going to take longer. You're going to mess this up. But it's understanding that notion. And the easiest thing for anyone in sales and marketing to say is, oh, we just need to lower our price. We just need to cut our margins. Well, it could be a race to the bottom that you might win. And you don't want that. Exactly. You know, it, it reminds me, one of the things I learned at Xerox to implement what they called a focus executive program. And it's where you, and I've done this in every company since I, since I left Xerox, and it's where you take your executive team and you assign them to the biggest accounts and you have a quarterly meeting, you call the CEO and say, I'm gonna be your executive, meet with you every quarter, understand, and you basically ask four questions. How are we doing? What could, how are your needs evolving? How could we be better partners? And who else in the organization should I meet with? And by the way, I have this whole process written up if anybody wants it. And so, you know, we did, we, we, we did this and, and I'll, I'll just, to your point, give you an example. So I was in charge of an organization in Colorado, an educational organization, and I went out every quarter to meet them and over time really got to know them. And we developed our product, you know, with a lot of their input and, um, one day I'm walking to the gym like at 7 a.m. on a Saturday morning and the CEO calls me. He says, Karen, we have a big emergency. This and this and this is wrong. And I said, OK, I'll call you back every 10 minutes till we got it fixed. Because I was an executive in the company, I could short circuit all our escalations and everything. I could get right to the technical operations center folks, got it fixed. He was happy, called him back. Life is good. 18 months later, his IT director goes in and says, you know, we could save 26% if we left our service provider. I was working for a company called Centerbeam at the time. If we left Centerbeam, and what do you think the CEO said? Yeah, he said, he said, no way. Not a chance. I got Karen on speed dial. Are you kidding me? And so I think, you know, being able to, in a B2B world, really focus on your large customers, not in a selling way, but in a listening way and really creating deep, you know, relationships through those organizations, really on a listening tour, really has the ability to create major roadblocks for your competitors trying to penetrate those accounts. Yeah, absolutely. So Karen, I'm going to try and recap all the key points of this 
And then I'm going to turn it to you for rebuttal and and have you share the best way for people to stay in touch with you and learn more about what you're doing. So okay. here's here's a quick recap. This is something that I do for for my audience at all of our episodes so they can kind of capture all of it. And when I miss stuff, you'll let me know. But the the biggest the biggest trap that we learned from Karen is that people don't have a methodology of tapping into the voice of the customer. Mm-hmm. And the keys for tapping into the voice of the customer is one, get a handle on your customer loyalty through Net Promoter Score. Two, make sure you're getting an independent win-loss analysis so you understand why you won, why, you're lo- why you lost. And doing that will drive 14 to 15% increase in your business. Understand how your customers actually buy so you know the process they go through, not not so much how do you sell, but how do they buy, which often is two completely different worlds, and then get a sense of their digital footprint. And when we want to get to know the client, having that executive reach out with those four key questions, one, how are we doing? Two, how have your needs changed? Three, what could we do to better serve you? And then fourth, who else within the organization should we be contacting? That gives us a sense of really tapping into that voice of the customer and making the customer feel like you're dialed into them. So what did I miss? Nothing. I think you nailed it. Even a blind squirrel finds a nut. (laughs) Even a blind squirrel finds a nut every once in a while. So Karen, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you and learn about what you're doing? And of course, we want to make sure that they pick up a copy of Stop Random Acts of Marketing as well. It looks like that. It's got an orange cover on it. Yeah. And we'll put we'll put that in the show notes. What's the best way for people to reach out to you and learn more about what you're doing? I'm at K Hayward, H-A-Y-W-A-R-D, at chiefoutsiders.com. My cell phone is 650-823-4292. Um, either of those, you know, call me, email me. Happy to uh, have a chat with anyone, anytime. That's fantastic. Karen, thanks so much for sharing your wisdom. And for our audience, hopefully you got as much out of this as I did. And we'll see you next week on the Same Side Selling Podcast. Thanks again. Awesome. Thanks for having me.